Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jeff Grammer with the Albuquerque Journal. Glad you're back for another episode of the Talking Grammar Podcast. We're up to episode 19 today, and we, as I record this on a Saturday night, November 3rd, we're now three days away from the college basketball season. I know you're excited. I'm guessing you're excited. I guess I don't know that for sure, but I know I'm excited. I cover the sport for a living. I'm a lucky guy to be able to do that. And we're now three days away from college basketball season starting. So I'm glad you're here. Glad you're listening to the podcast. You know how you got here, either through Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, however you got here. I'm glad you're here. Remember, there's a full archive of all the Talking Grammar podcasts with show descriptions and download um, links for every episode of the podcast on abqjournal.com slash sports. Also, if you're interested in this podcast and in, in advertising or sponsoring this podcast, drop me a line. Shoot me an email. I can get you in touch with the right people. We're going to start looking for sponsors. We've not done so so far, but we are going to start looking for sponsors and advertisers for the podcast. So let me know if you're interested. Drop me an email at gramer at abqjournal.com. I'll get you in touch with the right people. So as we are so close to the start of the season, what I thought would be a good idea as the beat writer of the Lobo basketball team for the Albuquerque Journal, I thought it'd be a good idea entering year two of the Paul Weir era to sit down with Paul Weir and get a state of the program, if you will. He is starting the second season of what some thought was a rebuild project. He would tell you this is not a rebuild project at all. He doesn't have a whole lot of patience, doesn't expect fans to either. I asked him what a reasonable expectation of this season would be for the fans who he is asking to buy in and commit their emotions, their feelings, their time, their energy, and of course their money for tickets to support his program. He says a reasonable expectation for fans is for this Lobo basketball program to be competing every year atop the Mountain West Conference and for NCAA tournament bids. That doesn't mean win the Mountain West. That doesn't mean NCAA tournament every year. But there's no reason that there should be sustained periods where this is a program not competing for those things. He thinks this year's program entering the season can do that again. Of course, anything can happen. Injuries can happen. This team's already been hit with injuries. The presumed, in most people's mind, best player on the team, Jaquan Lyles, already out for the year with the ruptured Achilles. So anything can happen. But right now, Paul Weir says fans should have high expectations for the program. That's fair. He knows it puts pressure on him and the players, but he thinks that is an expected part of the job. I asked him what he learned, what he knows today that he didn't know one year ago entering his first season as a Lobo coach. I asked him sort of what his responsibility to the whole department is as Lobo basketball coach. It's the only sport at UNM making any money right now. That includes football and all that football TV money that some people like to talk about. The program is still not making money. For UNM. UNM basketball is the only one that turns a profit every year. So what responsibility and what pressure does that put on him to have success? How is he building his roster? Why why are there so many junior college and division one transfers? And why is there such high turnover of the roster in just two years? As opposed to getting several freshmen and building this up over a three or four year period, he'll tell you, and he says in this podcast, he didn't think the fans would come back if he had to wait, if they had to wait two or three more years for him to sort of rebuild this thing. So pretty candid conversation with Paul. Um, appreciate him giving me an hour. I'm actually going to break up my interview with him into two episodes of the podcast. So episode 20 will will be posted maybe Monday, maybe Tuesday, but sometime before Tuesday's opener. That one focuses a lot more just on the conference itself, on the Mountain West Conference. Can anybody beat Nevada? I also took some sound bites from last month's Mountain West Media Summit from several other coaches around the league. 
played those or read those quotes to Paul. We'll play the audio for you guys in, in the other podcast and uh, just had him respond to it. Some questions or some quotes were about him, about his program, about playing in the pit. Some were just general basketball comments, and I wanted to hear how Paul Weir responded to those. So there will be two podcasts out of the interview I did today, earlier today, at the Rudy Davos practice facility with Paul Weir. But here we go. Here's part one, my interview with Paul Weir entering the second year of his tenure as head coach of the UNM basketball program. Hope you enjoy it. As always, give me your feedback. Let me know what you think about it. Here we go. My conversation with Lobo basketball coach, Paul Weir. I know you don't like putting, and coaches in general don't like putting specific expectations or goals or X number of wins or tournaments. Um, but there is a situation where you do ask a fan base in the community to buy in. Sure. I want to know what they can expect. And, and some of those are the questions. Um, I, I kind of want to start with what you know going into year two that you didn't know going into year one. I, I know you had already coached one year at New Mexico State. I know you knew the for the most part, the general lay of the land when it came to Albuquerque and Lobo basketball, but there had to be some things that you learned along the way. I think you've talked about that. You've learned what big picture though. What, what do you know right now about coaching this Lobo basketball team in this program that you didn't one year ago starting the season? I mean, whether this is the <clears throat> effects of a honeymoon stage or period, I don't know, but I think I was more than pleasantly surprised with the support I got from the fan base. You know what I'm saying? Now, honeymoon phase, you know, yeah. I don't know. But um, I was uh, expecting, particularly when things weren't going very well or even little things didn't go very well, you know, the boo birds and everything else to kind of come out. And, and that was just part of coaching the Lobos, that, that you had to go through that. Um, and not once did I ever really feel that way. You know, I, I felt nothing but support from fans, uh, from emails, from people you run into, wherever it may be, even during those trying times. You know, I mean, there was some noise there. I think about our style of play. There was some noise there when we weren't going well, very, things weren't going well early in the year with regards to maybe just the newness of everything and how, how potentially bad people thought we were going to be. But I never really felt it like cross the line to the point of the things that have been said about Lobo fans, yeah. you know, by by people outside of this community or whatever. I I felt nothing but but treated very fairly and and even beyond that, very overly supportive. The amount of people that reached out to me when we weren't doing well in and around this community was like, wow, like this is this is this is awesome. You you mentioned and you referenced the honeymoon period. It seems like you're then going into this year knowing that's about to be over. Now it's, are, are, is it fair yeah. to say you, you understand this well, is more of a results-driven season now? The ironic thing is the way we finished last year probably eliminated that. Yeah. Um, you know, if last year went the way some other first-year coaches have kind of gone when they've taken over a, a, a team with a lot of turnover and change and kind of that feeling of starting over a little bit, um, you know, they've got a little bit of time to, to, to turn that process around. And I think the way we finished last year, that, that, that time is pretty much over in a lot of people's minds. It's probably even over internally, the reality is. Now, in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm aware of this is a process and this will take some time. Um, but I, I understand what the end of last year did. It probably threw a lot of, um, you know, 
reality out of the window and, right. and has, has sped up that entire process. Is that good or bad? The, the way you guys finished last year, you wouldn't trade that for anything. You would have yeah. liked to have even gone further. But in the big picture of building a program, is is overachieving, if that's what happened in year one, is that good or bad for a program? I think based on the world with which we live in and the way college basketball has become, um, not only with fans, but with recruiting, with um, communities, with athletic departments, with whatever it may be, um, the idea of a you know two to four, or three to five year rebuild is 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 almost it's gone. Um, so I think from the standpoint of of catching a little bit of magic there towards the end of the year and stimulating greater interest with our fans, greater interest with recruits, um, just overall a, a better energy around our program. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And the things I would trade it for, potentially, which would be, hey, everyone take our time. We're going to yeah. build this thing. I don't know if that world exists anymore anyways. I don't know, I don't know if that works for you either, though. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you're a patient I, guy. Probably so. But but even if I was to be, I don't know if that's the way sports are built nowadays anyways. Coaches don't get the amount of time they used to get to build a program. And that's that's not that's not just college basketball. That's right. professional athletics, other sports, you know, not just basketball. Um, the, the, the tolerance and the patience of fan base, of administrators, of communities for their teams to be successful just aren't what they once were. So um, that being said, I think the way the last year's season ended um, was terrific. Regrets? Any regrets from last year, though? I mean, it's one thing to say you learned from this and you might do this different, but anything you actually regret making a decision you feel was wrong? In hindsight, of course. You know, it's hard to say because anything I potentially did do wrong or we did wrong ended up allowing us to get to the path that we got to towards the end of the year. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Whether it was an individual player that I managed a certain way and maybe I managed him incorrectly, but maybe managing him incorrectly allowed him to act in a certain way where then now I did yeah. manage him differently going Sort of butterfly forward. effect. I mean, everything I, led to I what you I think so. Became. You know what I mean? And and I, I, I believe in that because my life was that way. You know, like the, what eventually led me to get into coaching and yeah. move here and move there and all the other things. Like, I, I, I believe in that. So, like, I think things do happen for reasons and, and then it's up to us to, like, adapt and, and make the best decisions we can. So it's really hard for me to look back and say, man, I really regret losing the Tennessee Tech game yeah. or I really regret losing this game because really at the end of the day it forced us to to grow overall more as a team. We might have taken that initial hit because I didn't make the right adjustments in a game or I didn't do this properly or I didn't do that properly. But it's hard to regret seeing where it all ended up when it all was said. And done. Well, I've talked to you about this before a little bit about I don't know if you guys do what you did at the end of last year if you weren't three and eight. To start exactly. If you guys were hovering around five hundred early on, and the margin was close, where you, we'd have a chance to win the game if yeah. we, if we maybe back off the press a little no bit question. right now. I don't know if you guys become what you did without the three and eight start and without it getting a little ugly. Ugly is not the right word because I don't think it was ugly, but it was bad. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't good basketball for a while. Um, I don't know if you become what you became without those struggles. So. Yeah, you wouldn't have. You don't want to start three and eight, but if you could, if you guys had started, you know, over those eleven games, six and five or five and six, yeah, I don't know if the urgency in the team would have been there. That's the way I look at it as well. Like I was saying, when I look back on the season, what could I have? What could we have done differently? Or what do I really regret? Where were my major mistakes? There were a lot of mistakes by a lot of us. Myself, obviously, at the forefront of it. 
but I just feel like it led us to the path we went to and, and made us all better for it. And the urgency that like Joe Firstinger kind of saw is his senior year was probably at a point, maybe this is a little over dramatic, but sort of slipping away from him at mm-hmm. one point, And then he became something very different about midway through the year, I thought, certainly before conference play. Um, maybe that doesn't happen if you guys are a, a decent team instead of starting off as bad as you were. Um, you're not emotional. You've said on more than one occasion the wins and losses don't really do it for you. Yep. Um, but you you are asking for a fan base um, that cares a about those things. They of do course. care about wins yep. and losses. They care about this program and they want to see it succeed. So while they don't really rem- you know, mean as much to you, what, when you're asking a fan base to buy into your program and to support financially is part of the component, yep. but just by showing up, you're asking them to buy into this program. What do you owe them? What can they expect then in terms of results? I'm not asking for the specific number that coaches don't like to give, but you know, what, what's a reasonable expectation for fans? I think this program, um, when all the constituencies are kind of in the right place, um, is a national basketball program. Uh, I think that it has the capability to be in an NCAA tournament, or if not very close to it, on an annual basis, given variables that kind of come into that. Um, and I think when you put yourself in that conversation of being in that group, that puts you into like a, a, a top 25 kind of category. And I think... Which is really know, difficult at this level of, of play right now. Though. It is. There's no doubt about it. It's, but it's harder think, than it was even 10 years ago. Agreed. But I think when you look at um, what's inherently here in this program um, and what it's capable of, I, I think I think that's a very reasonable expectation. So I that's think, not Pollyanna-ish to kind of think like we can be like we used to be and, and just sort of naive about... Lobo basketball belongs in, in this realm of about I, top I, 25. I believe be it has that capability. I think that is a reasonable um, expectation okay. um, that we have to find a way to get towards. And if, and if I, for some reason, can't get there, like that's on me. That's not on you know, other things. That, that, that's my responsibility to hopefully get us to that point. Um, what do you, I guess, then obviously big picture again, but what do you have to do to get in, get this program to that point? It's obviously the wins and losses, but how do you get to that? Is it is it through recruiting? Is it the community effort? Is it mm-hmm. getting the pit back to what it once was sort of thing? I know it's a piece of all that. What, how would you describe the, the top couple bullet points of what you as a coach have to do to get the program back to there consistently? I'd probably put those those first two are right up there. I think getting the fans back into the building is, is enormous. It, it leads to so many things, and I know so many things lead to that, and then it just becomes reciprocating, and it yeah. just keeps going around and around, which is, which is great. But recruiting has a big part to do with it as well. Uh, at the end of the day, um, when – when UNM has has been good, it's always been with great players. You know, we we all want it to be about the coach. We all want it to be this coach did this or this coach did that. But underneath that coach, you know, is a Michael Cooper. Like underneath that coach yeah. is a Luke Long. Like underneath that coach is a Tony Snell or a Cam Bearstow. And and those those young men and their talents um, will will drive success as well. And, and we've got to be able to recruit at a level where we can bring in the types of players that are going to allow this team to, to be the way fans want us to be. And then fans come to more games and we get more players and more fans come to games. And it just kind of keeps going round and round and round. So I would say those are two pretty critical components for us to be successful. And then as that is unfolding, 
um, we need to line up all the things underneath in, in kind of the structure and foundation of our program that are going to allow us to be successful. A lot of that does have to do with finances. Sure. I, I can't pretend that it doesn't. Um, that's just to do with resources in and around the program that allow the program to be to succeed. On that front, though, um, I won't ask you to you know crystal ball this and, and see where finances at UNM is is going to be down the road mm-hmm. or moving forward. But is there a responsibility as the local basketball coach to this whole department that, fair or not, if you don't succeed, this athletic department's probably going to be suffering? That's really not my question to answer. Yeah. You know, I, I had this conversation, and I don't remember it exactly, when I was on the Daniel Libet's podcast. Yeah. And I think it's like, well, when the basketball coach is asking for things to be successful, it's like we're blaming the basketball coach. The basketball coach is just asking for whatever he thinks he needs to help the program be successful. It's up to those above him to decide how they're going to allocate their resources. Mm-hmm. And if they feel as though basketball is a very important part of things, then they're going to allocate the resources um, accordingly. Sure. If for whatever reason they think that the coach is asking for too much or basketball may not be that important, then they'll allocate them differently. So my job is not necessarily to worry about how those resources are getting allocated and what's in the best interest of all these other elements. I, I get into that, you sure. know, particularly philosophically or, or uh, conversationally with people. But at the end of the day, my loyalty is to do what's best for Lobo basketball and to push that envelope as far as I can. And the people above me can decide however they need to decide. Well, there was a quote um, that I had a couple years prior to your time. Um, a couple years ago, referring to Lobo basketball, I think the story had to do with you know, money for charters and stuff yeah. like that. And, and Paul Krebs, the former athletic director, said that Lobo basketball does not get to eat all that it kills. That whatever you guys bring in, there is part of that that does have to fund the rest of this department. There is a reality yep. to that. But what you're saying, I suppose, is that you, that doesn't stop you from trying to make this program as good as it. Again, it's somebody else's yeah. decision to make when to kind of cut you off financially if, if need be. Exactly. And I would like to get as much of that piece of the pie that Lobo basketball creates as possible. Yeah. I, I, and I, in my own um you know, educational mind, understand what that looks like. I, I, I take higher education very seriously, yeah. and I take the, the educational mission of the institution and the responsibilities of a lot of different parties. I, I, I have a firm grasp of those, but I'm not hired here as the provost. I'm not hired here as a faculty athletic rep. I'm here as a Lobo basketball coach, and my, my loyalty is to that. And while I understand some of those other things, and I will be as accommodating to those things as I possibly can when I'm aware of what's at stake, I will be. But when it comes to what's best for Lobo basketball, I have no other choice but to try and push that as hard and as, as long as I can. Something I've given you a little bit of a probably a hard time on is, is how much you do the uh, you know the the luncheons that you you'll go to everybody's luncheon. You'll you spread yourself in my mind very thin. Mm-hmm. Um, some people operate that way where you would actually, you could back off, but you might not be as functional in the things you're still doing. Yeah. I'm curious if you um, in any way feel that maybe you spread yourself a little too thin in all the things you do as basketball coach. And now that it's the season, is there anything you back off on now that you have to focus on an actual season to end? Very much so. Um, this is a long answer because uh, it's one I've I've grappled with for a long time as an assistant coach as I prepare myself to be a head coach and I watched head coaches um, either 
um, do too much or do too little or just how they interacted sure. with these various elements. And I saw the, the positives and the negatives to both. I saw coaches that stayed in their own lane and just did all coaching and did not do enough external. And I saw the downsides to that. And I saw the positives to that. And likewise, you know, the alternative, sure. I've been very fortunate to work, to, to, to observe different, different coaches. Um, you know, the guy that quite honestly probably stimulated me the most originally was Reggie Theus. You know, when I, mm -hmm. when I, when I first got to New Mexico State, I was, I was fascinated by what he had done there in such a short amount of time and what he was able to really grow and, and stimulate. And I, and I, I mean, I met with so many different people just asking, what what his day looked like and what he was doing and that was literally his day it was meeting with all these different people consistently to engage a community and kind well of i was bring sports them. editor in las cruces when he was hired and and i remember one of his first you know weeks on the job was when school was in was you know he did go to all the greek houses for sure um, he went to every fraternity and he story. went so much further than that like yeah. when you meet with people like he was meeting with band directors and cheer people and he was reorganizing where people were going to sit and he was doing i mean he was just so into that what people would think is maybe uh outside of the scope of a basketball coach but he be he understood the vibe so i, I had that kind of in my mind um and then when i got here and really started to look at and i've used this reference to to a lot of different people you know, you, you have different schools in our league, and I think they all have their strengths and, and potentially mm -hmm. their weaknesses. And different schools um, have have um, things that allow them to be what they are. You know, San Diego State has San Diego. You know, yep. Las Vegas has Las Vegas. Colorado has tons of money. You know, that's just like pouring in from the state. Like everyone has things. And really what we have here is the people. Like The pit is only the pit because of the amount of people sure. that walk into the pit. Um, what makes Lobo basketball um, special is the volume of people that just care, you know. And for me, um, I'm trying to embrace or uh, open my arms up to that to bring them in because we need them for Lobo basketball to be the best it can be. That That is our strength. Our strength is our people. Our strength is our volume. Our strength is the number of people in the community that really love Lobo basketball. And I feel as though, A... Um, that's something as a head coach I need to be um, thinking about anyways. But B, this particular job, we need these people. We yeah. need all these people to want to be a part of Lobo Basketball to kind of make it great. If this was a different job, um, if this was a different um, base um, or set of strengths and weaknesses, maybe I wouldn't do it to the extent that it did. But I need all those. We need those people to maybe overcome some strengths that other programs have that we're trying to find a way to beat. You, you're a guy that, you know, be it lunch or, or just coffee or something, you, you kind of have non-basketball people that you've leaned on in the past for like a regular just talk or whatever. Um, in New Mexico State, one of the first ones remind me the um, Children of a Lesser God. Um, Medoff. Medoff, thank you. Medoff, um, yeah. you. You would meet with him. Um, are there any of those kind of people that you've, in your first year in Albuquerque, that, that you sort of have... A relationship like that with where you can bounce things off of outside of basketball that uh, maybe isn't basketball related, yeah. but just sort of to balance yourself, I guess. Uh, Chalky was a great one yeah. until he left. I really, um, we developed, I thought, a pretty good rapport with each other. How much other. of it was athletics related? Um, uh, a little, it started that way. Yeah. Um, 
but it really evolved, especially when he became when he went back to provost of just just a, 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 almost a friendship and just yeah. being able to talk about leadership issues or um, functions around the university or whatever it may be. Um, he, he's been one. There's been some professors I've gotten to know as well um, that I've I've kind of. Um, had conversations with as well, but, but Chalky's probably one that sticks out to me the most as far as a guy that I could just kind of call and talk to about a particular thought process or something that I knew he that could be honest with you uh, exactly, and and I knew had no kind of frame of ref like no no frame of reference I was worried about you know yeah. as far as like a a, a self interest involved on that same I, on a similar path there. Lobo basketball coach is a position that I think a lot of people in this town and in this university might be intimidated by, um, might be, you know, hesitant to tell you no. Um, do you have a staff? I, 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 I'm not suggesting you're a hard-headed mm-hmm. or stuck-in-your-ways kind of guy, but the Lobo basketball coach makes a decision. A lot of times nobody would tell them, no, that's not a good idea. Do you have a staff that tells you no ever? Um, and, th- and maybe that's not even the best way to frame it, but I mean, yeah. are they are they just following with what the Lobo basketball coach says every at every turn, or is there a pretty constructive kind of back and forth that you allow them to uh, push back a little bit? I guess I, I think we have very good constructive uh, back and forth, um, particularly like when we meet um, and when we have time to um, discuss and, and go back and forth on things. Um, in the heat of moments or in quick turnarounds or in stressful situations, the reality is I need a little bit of time and space to think and get my mind right and, and, and kind of make decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that necessarily I don't want to hear opposite feedback. I just, the way my, I, I think my, my brain just kind of works. I just need a little bit of time to like, to think. I, I don't need additional voices. So there are times it might look like Maybe I'm not listening or, or not wanting to hear feedback, but it's really not. It's just me trying to get my, my brain around things so I can make what I think is, is, the, is, a, is a good decision. Yeah. But outside of those moments, uh, in a lot of the meetings that where we're in this room we're in right now, I mean, it'll just be, you know, uh, Jeff Grammer, um, you know, let's move him from this position to that position and let's go around the horn yeah. and let's go to everyone give their thoughts on what they think we should do with Jeff Grammer moving from the point guard to the three spot or sure. whatever it happens to be. Or, you know, hey, guys, I know we haven't done any zone. Like, what are our thoughts on zone? We're getting killed in our man-to-man right now. Let's go around the horn. Do we think we should spend some time on zone? Stuff like that. Sure. And, and so in those situations, I feel as though I'm very open-minded and willing to listen in other situations, I'm not, but it's not out of a, out of a, an insecurity as much as it is. It may be an insecurity of just my own ability to comprehend quickly and make a decision. But there is a natural, um, through no fault of your own or through no doing, you not, you're not the one doing it. That this position, I think, in the past has created people are maybe a little afraid to question. Like in a state government, sometimes people might be afraid to question the governor. People might be afraid to question the CEO. Mm-hmm. In New Mexico, Lobo basketball is as big as it gets from a sports perspective, and sometimes people might be afraid to to question the guy at the top. and And it's it's healthy to have that. Um, yeah, I think you do. I don't know if I've been successful enough or 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 have enough of a track record to be in that. To be honest with yeah. you, I don't. I mean, if if we're, if 
if we can become successful here, maybe that's something that maybe that'll be a problem that we all need to guard sure. against. But I think right now, I mean, I don't necessarily feel as though I'm that way because we we got a lot more games to yeah. win and things to do here before I can get to a point where people can't talk to me. I mean, right now, anybody can talk to me. Well, let's move to the team a little bit more. Then you you talked a little bit earlier about recruiting being one of those yeah. main things. Um. You have a roster right now of of guys that for for two years now you you've built a roster that wasn't the traditional way to build rosters at New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot of junior college guys. You you do have a lot of transfers. That's not to say UNM hasn't had transfers. I think UNM has been at the forefront of a league that has been at the forefront of using transfers. Yep. Um, the Mountain West is transfer the, the transfer conference for a long time, and UNM has had Ruben Douglas who led the nation in scoring. They've had Danny Granger. They've had Jay Evans. So there's been plenty of transfers and successful ones here. Um, but this roster is, is almost entirely not the natural freshman through senior year kind of recruit. Mm-hmm. Is A, is that a, a norm um, you that you see will continue here? And, and B, I, I do want to kind of wonder the thought process on some of these transfers in particular that had for lack of a better term, baggage, I think, at their at their previous stops and left for a reason. Sure. Um, however specific you're able to get into those things are fine, but what I'm really curious about is the vetting process of a guy who maybe left his school for whatever reason. And first off, is the future of the Lobo roster going to be a lot of junior college players and a lot of transfers? Sure. Um, I would say a few things. A couple things just come to mind immediately. One, I think when I got the job, I mean, I think anyone it behooves them to look at like, who, who are you trying to catch? Who, who's the best? And yeah. Nevada's the best. Um, I, I think they proved that before I got here. They proved that after I got here. Um, their ability to go and get really good transfers, I mean, took them to a Sweet 16. Yeah. And, and is like, this year going into the season, maybe one of the best Mountain West teams of all time. Highest AP preseason and, ranking of any Mountain West And sport. they've done it with transfers. So for me, that was the immediate, okay, Nevada's really good. How's Nevada doing it while wow, they're doing it with a lot of transfers? So that was what probably jumped off the page to me that, okay, let's, we, need to, we need to definitely look at this because this is how they're doing it. Um, so... That was definitely one of them. Number two, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, I don't believe this fan base or fan bases in general or people that support sports teams in general would have been willing to wait for me to take five or six freshmen last summer, another four or five freshmen last fall, and us go through the growing pains of a nine-win season, an 11-win season, and then a 15-win season. Um, I just didn't think A... I don't think that's really tolerated much at all anymore. And B, quite honestly, I don't think this. I, I don't know if the fan base would have come back. Um, I, I think it, it doesn't take someone overly intelligent to see where the numbers have been going over the past few years. And I thought we needed a quick bounce back, even if that didn't make it um, that stable long term that we all would really like to feel good about. I just thought we had to do it. So that was really the propensity behind going after transfers, going after junior college kids. They're older. They're more experienced. Nevada won with them. Let's see if we can turn this thing a little quicker mm-hmm. than just going and, and taking two years of, of losing a lot of games and trying to grow kind of some young kids. At the same time we're doing that, let's try and bring up some younger guys underneath 
and maybe, hopefully, start to segue towards something more that you're talking about. So, you know, obviously we felt really good about the freshmen we signed yeah. when, when I got here. Um, we, we brought in another couple this year. We've signed, well, hopefully we'll sign one here in the fall for the next year. So we're trying to bring up these younger kids underneath, and as they matriculate and grow, then hopefully underneath them we'll be able to progressively get younger, so to speak. Um, but that being said, um, I'm not just going to eliminate those other kind of supply lines of players that so far have been relatively successful for us or successful for people in our league. Um, I, well, I was going to say, I think that nowadays the the transfers are such a normal part of the poll process now that the days of, well, wait, why is this guy transferring? There there must be something wrong. So, for the most part, that's that's probably eliminated. But that is still, for the most part, they're still leaving for a reason. Mm-hmm. How much of recruiting nowadays, um, especially when you're dealing with transfers and sometimes the junior college player, is figuring out why they went that route instead of why they weren't a freshman that went freshman through um, senior year at the school they originally wanted to go to. How much do you guys have to figure out what happened there, and would that be something that would be possibly a potential problem here? Yeah, I mean, I think you just kind of hit it uh, to an extent. I think five to ten years ago, you would be wondering, why is this kid leaving? What's yeah. what's going on? But I think now it's become such a, a norm. Um, I mean, and I can even just go off of the however many months I've been here, 18 months, I mean, I tried to talk Anthony Chavez out of of walking away from yeah. our program. I talked. I tried to talk Chris McNeil out of walking away from our program. Uh, Troy Simons and, and, and Jakai Simmons both went through some some pretty serious stuff. Uh, Connor McDougal, before he left, had gone through like a yeah. myriad of things in different ways. Um, you know, there really wasn't anybody that left that. Um, I have a bad thing to say about to a coach that called was me. Was it any sort of classic runoff? It wasn't. It, it, they're, 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 like of all these kids that have walked out of our program for different reasons, if anyone called me on them right now, I would say very positive things. It's just our 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 society and think they've just changed. You know, yeah. ki, ki, uh, there's a, there's a there's a much greater willingness to move. Um, there's a much greater like. Um, intent to move by not only the kids but people around them if things aren't going how you want then you know you want to kind of look at at other things and I think even coaches and programs themselves are now a lot more amenable to helping those kids I think there are some kids that you know the exact same scenario of what I was faced with 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 some of these kids wanting to walk away however many years ago I would have said no you're not going anywhere you're staying right here I'm not releasing you and you're not you're not able to go anywhere so I just think the the I think the environment has changed to where transfers have nowhere near I don't even know if there is a stigma anymore um, attached to them do you do your due diligence of course you do Are, are you trying to do research of course you do like you would any kid you're bringing into the program but I don't think transfers per se are viewed upon at least by myself the way that you should, and that's both ways. That's outgoing and incoming. You uh, you alluded to some of what you did with with like Carlton. You you were talking to his old high school. Um, was it his high school coach mm-hmm. or was it a mentor of some sort or or both? I suppose. Um, yep. But you you went back to maybe some the roots, I guess, and and you do that with all your guys pretty much. I imagine in, in some regard for sure. Okay, so it's not just uh, what were their numbers and what did their outgo their last coach say? No, I think you have to. Uh, I mean, you go back a, a long, long ways. I mean, we're recruiting a kid right now um, 
who's a who, who's a transfer, and we've gone we've gone back to the previous school, the high school, the AAU. I mean, you you go back as far as you can just to get as many different perspectives on things, and then at the end of the day, you still want to try and make your own decision. I mean, there's kids that might leave here for for a variety of reasons, and maybe we just weren't a good fit for yeah. you know for for whatever reason they didn't click with me. You don't feel it reflects them. poorly on you or the program um, if. Somebody that leaves here goes and flourishes. Exactly somewhere. right. I think at the end of the day, like it, the, their relationships. I think we've all met, um, you know, we've all been in relationships where we realize, hey, maybe this relationship just isn't meant to work out. It could be in family. It could be socially. It could be wherever. That doesn't mean that same person can't have a great relationship with somebody else. And that doesn't make, you know, you two the worse off for it. I think it actually makes the the uh, the better off for it for both of you. All right, I'm going to do some fans some uh, specific to this sort of uh, sort of season. Um, I don't know if you want to use these terms, but like most improved, is, is there a player or two that you think fans are going to see uh, much improved from what either they even saw from the Cherry Silver game or probably more realistically what they saw last year or what they might expect? Yeah, I'd say the two that, that, that would stand out to me right now since he arrived here to now would probably be Drew Drennan. Okay. Um, I thought when he got here he was... I was a little worried about how much he was going to be able to contribute early on, but he's really come a long way, you know, since the fall. He's got a bit of an injury right now, which might set it back a little bit, but I, I, I thought he, he came a long way from when he first arrived. And I think from last season to this season, I'd probably say based on what I've seen so far, would it be Vlad? I think Vlad, um, has really kind of, uh, he did really well in the scrimmage, and I think he's kind of doing some things out there that are, that are much different than what he was doing last And he's season. going to play some minutes for you. That would be definitely be the intent. Yeah, that's the plan, or that's the plan. I'm sorry, you t- yeah. t- took your word. That that would that alone, I think, might surprise some people for sure. Because he did not look like he fit last year. He didn't look like he fit what you were doing, or was ready to play at that level. Yeah. I'm not sure what the mixture was, but he had minutes out there where I think fans were wondering, should that guy be on the floor right now? Very good point. And and to be honest with you, when we signed him. Um, we knew we needed a big man that badly. They may just end up being out on the floor. Yeah. Um, and I thought the early part of the year, he was actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, for a freshman that walked in, he did well. He got the flu at one point. It shut him down for about a couple of weeks, and he just never got back into a groove after that and didn't have a great finish to the season. Um, but having a full off season under his belt and just doing all the things he's been doing – He's a terrific student. Like he, he does a lot of really good things that have allowed him, I think, to start to make some steps. And I hope I hope he follows it up with a good year. Anybody on this team you think's overlooked? I know I did an article on an Anthony Mathis who didn't make a top shooters list or something like that. Anybody on this team that you feel might be overlooked either nationally or, or maybe even locally? Gosh, um, you know... It's hard for me to start to separate guys. Uh, oh. I, I, I hate doing that. I have guys that I know are overlooked um, in my world. You know, like I think someone like Dane Kuyper is really overlooked in my world because he's such a great teammate. He works so hard. He's a great communicator, and he really cares about the team. Well, but that doesn't necessarily translate to a 25-point game that you and Jeff Goodman and someone sitting in a row somewhere goes, wow, like, that's an overlooked guy. Well, to so. that point, I think, um, and I've mentioned this to you before, what they sent out for the preseason media um, when we were voting on all-conference um, and order of finish, what it comes for every team is the returning starters, um, the returning players, and the newcomers. And what the league's kind of sheet for every team shows 
is returning starters at the top, and then everybody else is just those guys that you know also returned but came off the bench last year. Um, two things there. One is Anthony Mathis wasn't a returning starter because he didn't start half the games last year, mm-hmm. so he wasn't on that list. And I think a lot of media types um, kind of just look at the who the returning starters are because if they weren't a starter last year, they're probably not going to be that good this year. Um, but the only guy you guys have listed as a returning starter was Dane Kuyper. Mm-hmm. And the way you base your starting lineups is is what you want this team to be about and your point of emphasis. Yep. And if he's the only returning starter that started 26 games, I believe it was, then he must be doing what yep. you want him to do. And that sort of speaks to your point. If there's a guy on this team that was more consistently than anyone doing what you wanted, it, it looks, the numbers bear out that it might have been Dane Kuyper. Exactly right. Yeah. So to me, we have those kinds of guys who exhibit those kinds of behaviors and it might not show up to other people in flashy or sexy ways that that pop out and then someone will be aware of it for me it's just guys that do a lot of those things they talk a lot on defense they 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 practice hard every single day they're early to everything they're doing like all those things that matter to me and our culture those are the guys that 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 get overlooked that i really appreciate really early to have this player identified at this point because you haven't played a game yet. Um, and a year ago at this time, I wouldn't have thought Joe Firstinger would become Joe First, the Joe Firstinger, but do you have a Joe Firstinger on this team right now? And by that, I mean a guy who who will take ownership himself. You, you need some of that players holding players accountable stuff. And I thought Joe became that guy. And again, a year ago at this time, I didn't think Joe was that guy, mm-hmm. but I thought he sort of became that guy. Do you have that? Um, I think it's sitting in about four or five different guys, uh, but I also feel as though they have to emerge, you know, and I think even Joe, for instance, I think he maybe wanted to do it, but it wasn't until maybe the on-court stuff started to unfold for him that it really gave him, uh, like, the the, the efficacy or or just the, the belief that, he could actually go and act that way. It's hard to do that if maybe you're not playing as well yourself or things aren't going well in certain ways. Um, and, and I think we've got, I, I've seen about four or five different guys that have the ability to do it. Now we just have to see kind of how the season unfolds, how their years unfold, and then who really starts to emerge and take on that, that take, take that from Joe. Okay, well, there you go. There's part one of my interview with Paul Weir. Uh, Again, recorded November 3rd. That's Saturday afternoon. And uh, that's part one of my interview with Paul Weir. The next part is more league-specific, Mountain West Conference, of course. Can anyone catch Nevada? Uh, Where the Lobos may or may not stand in the conference pecking order right now. I know fans expect, have that expectation that they'll be competing for a league title again. Does Paul agree with that? Can they do it? I also took a lot of sound bites from last month's preseason media conference from other coaches I spoke with and kind of got an idea what they thought about Paul Weir, what they thought about the Lobos, or maybe just some general sort of philosophical, basketball philosophical kind of thoughts. Played those for Paul, read those quotes to Paul, and had him respond to them. That'll be part two of this podcast. It will be out before Tuesday when the season starts. So episode 20 will be, I guess, part two of this Paul Weir interview. And both of those will be out before Tuesday when the Lobos start the season at Cal State Northridge. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Of course, hope you enjoy the next one as well and hope you keep giving us a chance throughout the season. It's here. College basketball season is about to start on Tuesday. Give me your feedback. If you do get this through iTunes or wherever you get it, rate us there. Give us some ratings. Give us some feedbacks. Leave a comment. 
And again, if you're interested in advertising, reach out to me at gGrammar at abqjournal.com. Drop me a line there. I'll get you in touch with the people that can do that for you. Hopefully these will be on a pretty regular basis now that the season's here. Sometimes I may record these courtside. Sometimes I may record them in an airport and some might be by phone. What I don't have is a studio. I don't have high dollar microphones that I am setting these interviews up. This is all sort of on the beat. I'm trying to share with you some of those conversations I get on the beat covering Lobo basketball. So that'll do it for this go round. Again, the next one will just be another day or two out. So let me know what you think. Hope you enjoyed it. Remember, full archive of the Talking Grammar podcast, every show, every episode, and episode descriptions for each one is on abqjournal.com slash sports. Until next time, this is the Talking Grammar podcast.